Hello, I'm Somi Arya. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a platform where visionary women come to gain live access to global leaders, learn about the macroeconomic landscape, and stay ahead of the curve. My guest on today's podcast is Matt Tuck, Head of Product, Service, and Operations at NatWest. Matt and I were recently on a panel together at the Financial Alliance for Women, and I couldn't help but notice his passion for closing the diversity and inclusion gap. During our interview, we also talked about blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, and whether or how they might work in the existing financial system in the future. We met because we were both on the same panel uh, at a diversity-related event, right? And um, I heard a passion in your voice, you know, for for this cause. It seemed like you really cared about it. There were other people on the on there on that uh, call as well who seemed to really care about it. Um, and this has happened to me on a number of occasions where I have met uh, directors, you know, and and. Um, C-level executives like yourselves being uh, at these events and, and you hear that passion. And then when we go in and talk to their uh, team, you know, and most of the time when we look at, okay, how can we help you? You know, we have an, a great audience right now. We have got over 60,000 women in our mailing list. We've got 16,000 on the platform, you know, and we have just started. Uh, I'm going to give you some revelations of some of the things that we've just recently learned about what women's interest is and where their interest lies um, and why I believe that um, traditional um, financed uh, companies and, and banks are missing out and that on that audience and uh, the way I see it is that they are not you know companies like NatWest like you know HSBC, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley all these companies that are trying to attract women they are um, they have a challenge on their hand because on the one hand, the nature of uh, finance in general is changing. And on the other hand, you know, for, for many, many years, women have not been attracted to it. So that, so finance is changing. Women are um, not attracted to it. So it's a really difficult battle. And I see Fempeak as a place where, you know, that we could be your ally and we could really help, you know, and make, um, change that. But when I see that um, big corporations, big banks, you know, when I see that when they look at Fempeak, they put us into their uh, diversity box and they're like, okay, so what are they going to do? They're going to run some events and, you know, we can tick our diversity box. Oh, we have done some other events for women. And, and it's like, there's no meaningful um, movement uh, happening that, that is going to really like move the needle you know um so from where you stand tell me a little bit about first of all what what's your sense of um where do you see your industry which by that i mean traditional finance industry like traditional banking you know where do you see uh -huh. that standing uh in uh, this world of you know where there is so much interest in um, you know DeFi and uh, and all these new ways of, you know, doing finance and uh, crypto, you know, all, all of the new things that are happening, right? So where do you see you stand? And once once I hear your uh, your opinion on that, you know, and then we can talk about women and, and like how, women, where women stand, you know, like where, yeah. what's happening. And then I can, I can tell you some 
uh, revelations that we have found on, on FemPeak that has been very interesting. I'd love, I'd love to hear those. I mean, as a start point, in terms of attracting talent, female talent into the finance sector, um, I think that's had quite a lot of focus um, over the last sort of five years. And when we look at our intake at the more junior levels, both graduate and um, sort of school leavers, we see a really good balance actually in gender of, of the um, cohorts that are, that are coming in. And I think that's as a result of quite a lot of work over, over recent years to, to find much more balance, not just in terms of gender diversity, but also in terms of ethnicity as well of colleagues. Um, and we do that on, the, on sort of looking at our customer base, which is radically changing as well, right? We're seeing far more women uh, starting businesses, being entrepreneurial, um, and we need to be reflective of our customer base in, in our own organization. And, and, and of all the other reasons we know why a good balance of diversity across the organization adds value. You know, there's lots of data points that, that show the value you get from a more diverse organization. I think the bigger challenge continues to be in the progression of those individuals through the organization and how do we make sure that we have a, a much more balanced senior organization. If I speak specifically to NatWest, we have a real advantage in that our CEO is, is, is female. Um, Alison obviously has um, led the Rose Review, um, which is obviously is an industry focus, but that does obviously translate quite directly internally within that West. So from the top of the house, we're seeing significant change around the leadership table, much more gender diversity around Alison's senior leadership table since she took over. And at the bottom of the organisation, we're seeing our intakes continue to be much more balanced in terms of gender and, and ethnicity. So it's that's the middle, if you like, the middle is the area where we need to continue to, to focus. And that's a, a much broader topic around how do you create the right successful environment for our female bankers um, to continue to grow. And we're seeing significant improvement, but there's still a long, long way, long way to go. Um, so that, that's sort of how I would describe where we are on our journey in, in NetWest. I, I, I will say that the organization is spending significantly uh, more time and energy and effort around this topic and has been for a while, but as I say, with Alison now in the CEO's seat, it's a fantastic opportunity, I think, to, for her to lead more, not just from a NatWest perspective, but also lead the line from an in-banking industry perspective through the activities activities that her name is against and in the Rose Review. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, because, for example, at um, FemPeak, our focus is specifically in that middle section. It's literally... It's about women, you know, who come in, who are in mid-management or, you know, early stage startup and want to get to the top uh, tiers. And that's that's exactly our focus. And, and that's why I thought that we would be a, a good partner. Uh, but it seems like, you know, um, that uh, you already have similar things or, um, I mean, I, I, I still, obviously I don't know exactly what other, um, areas you're working on so it's hard for me to say whether they're similar but we are finding that we do have a unique edge so the revelation that has that we have found is that women coming to our platform are extremely interested in web3 DeFi, uh crypto nfts uh, metaverse you know and all these new areas so um 
on 16th of November. So when, when we first started the platform, we were not talking about these areas. Um, however, I personally have been studying the blockchain space since 2018, and I've been extremely interested in it. I actively bought and traded and, you know, uh, I uh, know very well. I have a very very good knowledge of that space but we were not talking about it on the platform because i was under the impression that women aren't interested in it and we were completely shocked um on 16th of november we had a session uh which was called um uh crypto nfts the metaverse was beyond the hype and um that became our most successful event in the sense of the number of people who upgraded to educate themselves about it and wanted to learn about it so since then uh we have done more and more on those topics and women are extremely interested in it i think my assessment is that traditional finance is going to lose women you know if they don't make an uh, a big effort to uh, to attract them both as customers and as, um, you know, uh, in terms of employees, because uh, like, for example, today we have a session on the platform, which is called um, opportunities for women in blockchain. And we're going to talk about, you know, the kind of career path. We would not have gone down that route if we had a lot of traditional finance companies back us up. But what we found was that the traditional finance companies have been um, very, very slow, very slow. Like, you know, I'm running a, a, a startup, you know, we, we work at incredible speed. Um, so the uh, traditional finance companies that we have been talking to, you know, they, they think of us as like a, a, a diversity kind of company. Whereas when we talk about blockchain companies, they see us as a potential place to tap into our audience, both as customers and as, um, you know, uh, potential employees. So um, it's my uh, assessment looking at, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I'm seeing uh, our audience is interested in blockchain and DeFi and, uh, you know, all these new areas of digital assets in general. So our audience is interested in it. They're also for the first time you know, I have been, I've been also uh, extremely interested in AI. I have studied, you know, done so much research on, on AI. I taught myself Python, you know, not necessarily to become a developer, but to just understand enough as I'm hiring developers. And uh, we have been talking about AI on the platform for a very long time. We've been talking about biotech, everything else, but nothing has had the impact of blockchain for some reason. And I think that that reason has, a lot to do with NFTs because of the um, the in, uh, how NFTs are intertwined with art and culture, and uh, it speaks to women. So um, I think there is something is happening here that it, it, it's just um, slipping uh, away from you know financial um, uh, traditional finance companies, and uh, and I think if you it, like, there's a small window of opportunity to to become part of that movement and for some reason, for various reasons, regulations being one of them, and the fact that obviously traditional finance companies are embedded within the regulatory frameworks in a way that they can't uh, innovate the way that you know new companies. So in the new 
uh, in the new startup kind of space, it's like, just go ahead and do it until they tell you not to, right? Whereas in the other, uh, uh, from your kind of side of things, it would be more like, oh, let's make sure that there is no regulation issues, that, you know, there's, there's, Uh everything's going to be okay. So I, I, I wanted to see whether you have experience, whether you have um, observed anything like that and whether you were aware of this? Yeah, very aware. I mean, I think it's quite a broad topic, right? So, so blockchain as a concept covers a wide range of possible use cases. And we are, like all the other banks, the traditional banks, as you describe us, are actively engaged in blockchain opportunities to streamline, simplify, um, and, you know, to... to create better solutions and products for customers. So, so, so I don't, I think a, a one sort of brush approach around blockchain probably is not, not necessarily appropriate. I think when it gets a little harder for banks is this regulated space and whether we like it or not, um, there are, as you can see from the, the history of banking over, certainly since the financial crisis in 2008, there's significant examples of where banks have got it wrong. Uh, and the regulation focus has shifted significantly into arguably much more regulation than 2008. Uh, well, not arguably, there has been a lot more regulation in 2008, a lot more personal and corporate accountability expectations on individuals like, like myself to ensure that we are doing the right thing for customers. That, that does change your risk appetite. I mean, candidly, that, that, that brings it to life. And you know, if my personal view is there's probably a little bit too much regulation now, but it's understandable why, why there's why we are where we are. That does candidly impact some areas, but if I look at some of the, you know, you mentioned crypto, uh, I think crypto is an interesting opportunity. I think the central banks are looking at it because they obviously have see it as an opportunity. They also see it as a potential risk to financial stability. The banks are at the forefront of maintaining financial stability in the market, and you know, we're the sort of tip of the spear, if you like, to make sure that we are are able to do that for um, for the economy. So it, it's a difficult challenge to find the right balance. But I don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't think it's fair to say it's a, a, a black or white answer, a yes or no answer. I think it's much more complex than that. You look at what we're doing. We're spending significant amount of money in things like machine learning and AI, using the data that we have to better inform for our customers whether they're you know, female or male or, or, or um, regardless of background, to bring insights into what, what they're doing. We're also doing a lot around behavioral science, using behavioral science techniques to assess how we can be more impactful for customers and help them when they really need it. And when we're looking at things like female entrepreneurs, for example, you know, getting involved with those entrepreneurs at the right time based on some of the data that we're using and using some of the new techniques. So, you know, would, if you ask me candidly, would I love to have the flexibility to operate like a fintech? I absolutely would. I mean, I'd love to have the flexibility that, that you have to do that. And we've done some of that with our ventures. You know, we have Metal, which is our sort of um, small, medium enterprise startup uh, entity that operates, you know, at pace like a startup. Um, but we also have to operate in an environment that is very regulated, is can be challenging, and the repercussions of, of getting it wrong are quite impactful. We've seen you know, significant uh, increase in fraud uh, linked to crypto. Um, now, to be fair, it's not 
I don't think it's fair to blame crypto. I don't think crypto is the issue. It's the underlying opportunity it creates for fraudsters to, to get involved. So our first priority has to be to protect our customers. That's our number one priority. Trust is really important in the financial sector. So it's really difficult to find that right balance to, to give customers as much access and support as we can into these new innovative industries, whilst not opening the door too wide, which allows some very sophisticated and capable fraudsters who are doing this from a laptop. You know, no one goes into a branch these days and says, give me the money. They'd say sit in a room and they do it on a laptop and, it, and it's super sophisticated. We're seeing really, really sophisticated fraud impacting our customers. So it's trying to find that right balance. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. I think the interest levels are huge. And I think the financial services sector particularly the big banks need to find a way to satisfy that and to support customers, uh, our female customers and all our customers, but female customers in, in you know, satisfying that desire and appetite to get involved in those things whilst recognising the, you know, the regulatory environment. I think one of the biggest challenges something I see actually at the moment is it's, it's actually fairly unregulated. Uh, there isn't really regulation against this, this space. It's so new and developing at such pace that the regulators are trying to catch up to that. Banks are sort of stuck in the middle of that a little, which is strong demand from, from customers and entrepreneurs to be involved versus knowing that there will be a regulatory catch-up that will, will impact. So it's, it's finding that balance. Um, and sometimes we, sometimes we don't get it 100% right. I'd like to think we get it more right than wrong. But I agree with you. I think there's a massive opportunity here, and it's about harnessing it in the right way. Definitely. I actually see a silver lining in this for traditional uh, financial companies um, to be able to cater to women in a way that it satisfies women's appetite for risk, which is generally lower than men. You know, like generally speaking, uh, women are a lot more risk averse, at least um, historically it's been like that. Our research shows that's the case. We hear it from our audiences. That's why they haven't gone into crypto yet. That's why, you know, they are you know, most of the time, you know, they are, they're just, it's so refreshing for them that they can come in and they can listen to me and it's like, and I can explain to them this is what I'm doing. You know, you need to be very careful. You know, one of the things about crypto, uh, NFTs, all that digital asset space, Web3 in general, blockchain space, one of the things that's really unique about it is that, yes, it will put your all the power in your own hand, but also it puts all the responsibility in your own hand. So I need to constantly explain to them, it's like, this is not like a bank. If you give your key to someone, you know, and, and they take all your money, it's not like you can go to the bank and say, I was defrauded and, you know, they can, you can somehow get your money back. There is no police to go to. This is like, you know, you've got, you, you know, that, that seed phrase you have, that um, mm. whatever the key that you have that is like it's up to you how to protect that and, and when I talk to them like that they're like oh my god this is so scary so that's why I think that there is an opportunity for banks you know to introduce um, platforms like us you know to and collaborate with us to make the these new um, forms of digital assets more uh, accessible but in a way that it also gives them the a level of um, you know peace of mind that that we are still here for you you know and that we are gonna um, help you you know protect that. So uh, I I think there is a there is a middle ground opportunity, but the window of opportunity very small, you know because very very soon and as you mentioned there is 
a bit too much regulation and uh, one of the well too, too much regulations that's not relevant to this new space you see and then there's not enough regulations for this new space so um uh, elon musk says something really cool uh, that I, I heard in, a, in an interview that which i thought you know was so uh true he was saying that why is it that we have a procedure for creating new regulations but we don't have a procedure for getting rid of those when they no longer apply you know like they are you know the world is moving so fast you know we actually we just submitted a proposal to a, a company a blockchain company that wants to work with us and i said to them look i recommend rather than trying to do this in six months we do it in three months because this space is moving so fast who knows where mm -hmm. we will be in six months time there could be a whole new world like you know just the last quarter of 2021 we have had two big things that happened one was um the just the, the nft space blew up and the second one was uh metaverse thing you know the, the whole uh an announcement from facebook wanting to become meta and like it's just gone absolutely nuts and i think that the entire 2022 is mostly going to be focused around metaverse and um and nfts and and that's a whole other topic that you know we could talk about forever um because you know how can you adapt to that metaverse you know virtual environment and here's the thing you are going to need digital assets if you need to live mostly in in a a digital environment in a virtual environment right mm -hmm. so, uh, so i think that traditional uh, finance companies have a big you know challenge on their hand so it's important for them to collaborate with startups it's important for them to you know um, integrate with the new scene you know to stay relevant right and then yeah, I no, think I, I, have a big uh, role to play in that no i could i completely agree if we look at our entrepreneur hubs you know we're seeing innovation at pace i mean the, the rate of change is huge and we stay as close as we can to that by working with with startups um you know helping them through um our enterprise labs and working with them on on helping them to get going and and frankly you know listening to what they're doing and, and learning from what they're up to so it's it's very much a two-way arrangement i i can i completely agree with you that the rate of change is accelerating and it's it's beholden on on large companies like ourselves to make sure we we don't fall fall behind. Um, and you know, I think as I said earlier, I think sometimes we get that really right. I think we really get close to, to customers and we and we help them. And other times we aren't. We don't we don't get it one hundred percent right. I think often because of a fear of regulatory challenge that that, that sits in in the background. Um, but when it comes to sort of helping, you know, our female entrepreneurs to be successful. Um, I think that open door and listening, understanding what they need and where they want to go and trying to bring as much insight as we can and working you know, with, with others like yourselves to, to bring that insight to bear um, in a way in which they can access it in, in real time on their, their timeline, not, not our timeline, you know, when they want to gain access to that data, I think is, is, is really important. Um, if we look at our competitors, you know, I often get asked who who I think our main competitors are. And the obvious answer is the other banks, and they absolutely are big competitors of ours, but actually it is the Metas, the Googles, the Amazons of this world and the, and the Apples of this world that are now competing in the financial services space. And, and they are consuming startup opportunities at, at pace, right? Um, it's And we have to find a way to compete to that, to stay relevant.
Okay, yes, yeah, no, definitely. So, um, you know, especially as we go into this new era where, you know, like, let's say potentially, like, if you have an NFT that is worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds or, or, or you know, dollars, uh, then you could then use that as a collateral to get a loan. You know, I can see that in the future you could get a, a mortgage against your, your NFT, right? So there are all of these new uh, opportunities that are happening. So one thing that I recently um, came to my mind, which I think it's, a, it's an observation that I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily feel it the way that I did because I originally come from Iran. And I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in Iran. I, I left Iran uh, when I was 23. And uh, I remember when I was 21, for the first time I left Iran to go on holiday, you know, I worked, I used to work uh, at, the, the, at the Netherlands embassy in Tehran. And because of that, I was able to get a visa because generally speaking, it's very hard to get a visa if you have an Iranian passport. But at that time, you know, I was working for the Dutch embassy and I was able to get a Schengen visa. So. Um, I went with my boyfriend at a time to um, the Netherlands and to Germany, uh, and we went to a, a heavy metal concert. That's why, so I don't know if you know, but I used to be in a death metal band, actually. <laughs> so, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of one part of kind of my colorful background. So um, we went to uh, the, the first country, essentially, that I uh, set foot in outside of Iran was uh, Germany. And we arrived in Munich and I was absolutely shocked. You know, I, I knew that I would have to pay for everything, you know, in, in their money, right? And uh, I can't remember whether by then it was already Euro. I think it was already Euro. So um, uh, I was like, oh my God, like everything was so expensive for me because, you know, even though when I was in Iran, I was, I was earning dollars but because I was because I was earning dollars because I worked for the embassy, but uh, I was obviously spending in real. So just like it was incredible, like like this money that we had brought together, you know, for for this um, uh, for the holiday, I was like, what? Like I'm paying this much money for like a small bar of chocolate with that money, like you can buy a week's worth of food for like a family in you know in in Iran. So. It was, a, it was an absolute shock. And then obviously later on, I moved to the UK and now I earn pounds and you know, I'm a British citizen and everything is, is uh, forgotten. Then recently I had a moment when I had the exact same moment and that, that memory completely replayed for me. And that was when I went to OpenSea, which is uh, OpenSea is the NFT marketplace, which is similar to eBay, right? Like, and they have, they've just been, valued at a quarter of eBay, like more than a quarter of eBay, right? And this is like within a year or so that the valuation has gone from like 1.5 billion to 13 billion. They just raised money uh, on a 13 billion valuation. So just within the last year, they have completely just gone, um, you know, it's the biggest NFT marketplace. So I went to um, this marketplace and I was like just doing a practice run buying stuff you know just figure out how nfts work how to buy one and oh my god so it's like for the first time i was like okay i'm paying in eth right i'm paying in eth ethereum so and each eth is like four thousand dollars right for like and i'm and i'm suddenly thinking okay like this is like 
0.1 ETH or like, you know, a zero point, you know, so and so. And then I kept calculating in my head, what is that in dollars? And I, and I realized at that point that that's exactly what's happening. Like it's exactly similar kind of thing to, you know, what happened to me when I came from Iran, you know, and, and went to, to Germany and, and a similar thing. This is like, it's another uh, nation state. You know, mm-hmm. these, and, and it's a nation state where it's a different currency, it's a different value system, you mm-hmm. know, and, and all of a sudden you're paying, you know, the equivalent of um, $2,000 for the picture of a kitty bot, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, which is what I bought. And I was like, like, okay, this is like uncharted territory. It's like a whole other, other world. So... I think, you know, people talk a lot about blockchain being uh, the possible, bringing the possibility of equality and, you know, but actually I think it's creating a whole new kind of inequality. You know, there's there's going to be a whole other kind of inequality because it's only people who have been able to buy, you know, these uh, tokens, these uh, coins at early stages, or that are billionaires that are buying it now, that are able to go in and, and do these purchases at the prices. And then, of course, when you are, you're, uh, uh, you know, exiting, then you have to pay something called a gas fee, you know, which is like, it's another, like, a big percentage of, of what you're paying. Mm. So I wondered whether you had any thoughts on that, and whether you will see like where where do you see this going and where do i see this going i think your use of the language uncharted territory is a good description um i think you know that probably a good a good way of looking at it is the central banks are looking at this very closely now because it as you say creates a whole new ecosystem of value uh that is unregulated and is isn't backed by any fiat currency so therefore you know it, the, the valuations of of this this value is or the, the 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 units if you like is very very hard to to anchor back to something tangible um which obviously makes um central banks nervous because obviously it can create financial instability if it scales continues to scale then you know what does that do to the financial stability of 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 home markets and that's their mandate their mandate is to create financial stability so but at the same time it's a great opportunity as well right it's it's much it's much um it's frictionless um you know it doesn't have the same challenges that cross-border payments potentially have had in the past although that is also shifting materially into a real-time frictionless cross-border capability as well. So, you know, we're seeing a real different change in how payments have moved around the world now versus the, you know, 25 years ago, it could take three weeks for a payment from to move from A to B. Now, in, in theory, you can do it in real time, pretty much in most, in most locations. So it's a huge opportunity, but also a huge risk. Um, so I think, I, I think it will continue to develop at pace. I think we'll see some, the personal view is, I think we'll see some winners and some losers, you know, as you would expect. Um, I think over time, um, there will be more regulation of this. I think there has to be, whether whether users want it or not. I think it is unrealistic to think that it can re- remain unregulated um, because of that security concern and, and the, the, the danger of certainly um, less sophisticated investors 
understanding the risk that they're taking and then ending up losing money. To your point, you know, if there's a there's an issue with a with, that relates to a, a, a fiat currency, you go to your bank, you have a conversation with your bank, and your bank is there to protect you. That's our prime, you know, one of our primary duties is, is to protect our customers when they receive and, and make payments. In in sort of in blockchain, in Ethereum, you've got less, we've got none of that. You've got no one sitting there behind it, supporting it. And that that obviously is a concern. All the time things are going great, everyone's happy, valuations are going up. When it goes the other way, or there's some kind of issue, and we do see them from time to time, there are examples of issues, then then obviously you've got some very exposed people who you know have nowhere to go. And that clearly is is a, is a concern. Um, yeah. So it's it's really fast paced. I, I I think if you ask me the same question in a year's time, you might have a slightly you know different perspective depending on how quickly it, it progresses. But the fact that the the central banks are so interested in this, they've set up working groups with all the players. By the way, it's not just the banks; all the players yeah. that are involved are, are part of these sandbox exercises to find a way to get the benefits of this without creating unnecessary risk particularly when the um you know the theory of blockchain is it's it should be it should be relatively safe in terms of 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 how people control it but you've got to fully understand what you're getting into and lots of people i don't candidly i don't think they do yeah you you pointed out something um very important you were like you know about the less sophisticated investors so i have a little bit of a problem with that uh, term because you know we, when we say to people you're le- you're not sophisticated enough to um, make these decisions to let's say invest in startups for example that that closes the opportunity for them to get those high returns you know mm-hmm. what crypto does is that it allows you to take a small part of that action even if it's as as small as a hundred pounds or you know a thousand dollars or whatever yeah so um, one of the things that is very positive about this new industry for me is I feel like, and that's what I love about women getting into it because it, it puts the opportunity and the responsibility in your own lap. And then it's like, you need to educate yourself. So it's no longer, you know, when, when you are relying on the bank, you're putting your money there and you don't know what's happening to it and you don't care. You don't, you know, it's like, okay, it's taken care of. Whereas with this, you have to step up and you have to learn about it. And I think for women in particular, it's a very positive thing because Mm -hmm. it, it, it tells them that uh, you are good with money. You are good with, you know, you have to be good with money. Like you have to make decisions for yourself. So it's no longer that you can just rely on your husband and your, you know, um, brother or whatever, right? You know, that, that uh, you know, you need to actually learn mm-hmm. about these things. So that's a positive thing. Now, not everybody has the uh, inclination and time to spend to do that, you know. So I do think that we do need some kind of a, a middle ground for people who, uh, don't necessarily want to do that, but whether that middle ground would ha- will happen, I have my doubts because I feel like we, uh, we're going towards a society which is like it's the top ten percent who are skilled, and then there's the bottom ninety percent who are going to be left behind because the, because it's getting so complicated. Like every every day, it's getting so much. When I'm looking at even something like NFTs or, or crypto, it's like every day there's so much to learn. Mm. And, and I spent so much time learning about these things. And, and I think 
it, for a lot of people is like almost unreasonably hard. Um, so I wonder what will happen. I think there's room for innovation. You know, one of the things I call myself a tech philosopher and a transition architect, you know, like somebody who is like trying to help people, uh, you know, get, get a, a level of um, understanding of this transition and, and see what to do. So I think the biggest uh, opportunity lies in the middle where you can make it accessible for them. And that's where I think the biggest opportunity lies for, again, uh, traditional banks, that are able to because they still have the customer base you know like oh. for example i still have an account with uh, with um lloyd's but i don't use it i don't use it. i have like i can't remember the last time i touched my lloyd's card i don't no money goes into it no money comes out and i have two credit cards with them that is never touched you know um i uh, same with my barclays i don't like the only time i used my barclays was like to put money in binance <laughs> you know to you know to buy crypto right so so i don't use any of these it's the only banks that i'm able to use at the moment are something like maybe starling because you know it allows me to do some of my day-to-day -day work related stuff but otherwise there is just very very um limit like they're the, all, all the banks they have very similar offering and there is absolutely uh, an opportunity for them to look at this middle ground and say look let me see how can i make your life easier how can i make you you know enable you to interact with this new world and and make it you know in a way that is easier then going back to regulation as a last remark the one of the the points about regulations you know i don't know if you watched the five hour crypto hearing um of of uh, you know so i i watched the full five hour so one of the things when you watch something like that and it was a similar kind of scenario where there was a five hour hearing of um zuckerberg and you know um mm. bezos and um tim cook etc so um one of the things that comes to my mind when I watch these things is uh, that um, the regulators don't know uh, enough about the industry. Like, you know, if they're not native to it, they're not digital natives, right? They are not, they don't, they don't know enough. Like they've never gone and created a MetaMask account. They've never gone on, uh, you know, uh, uh, and bought an NFT on, on OpenSea. So how can you regulate something that you yeah. haven't used? Yeah. I think, I think, I think that, I think that's, that's partly fair. I, I do think to be fair to the regulators, they are massively engaged in this topic. So, you know, we, everyone's learning. Um, so, I think they are reaching into to banks. They're reaching into other players, non-banks, uh, who are actually actively in there. They're listening and learning and trying to find the right middle ground to allow that flexibility for people to be involved in this um, without creating the wrong environment where, if you fast forward, there could be some, some challenges in the future. Um, and that's important, right? So um, making sure that the we're protecting people whilst we're giving them the most opportunity. When I use the word non-sophisticated, it's probably bad use of language. But what I meant was really those that are professional investors who are investing, you know, significant sums in this as a as part of their portfolio versus others who see a really big opportunity, uh, but are not 100% sure, you know, what that opportunity is and what the risks are. I think that group of investors uh, or people who want to take part, we need to find ways to help them as much as possible to get the access but done in the right way so they fully understand the risks yeah. that they're taking and you know that and, and we have to be very alive to that and as i say we we have seen 
Unfortunately, we have seen very sophisticated uh, fraudsters take advantage of, of people um, in their desire to try and be part, part of this. Now, that again, that's less, to be fair, that's less of a, of a comment around the underlying asset, the crypto. It's more around the fraudsters using it as a, as a new opportunity. You know, as, as banks in particular have worked really hard to try and close as many doors as we can to fraudsters, they obviously look for the next opportunity. Um, and th this is a space that that is creating some more opportunity for for fraudsters. So, um, but I completely I completely agree with you. I think that the rate the pace of change is so fast and getting faster that it's beholden on the more traditional players in the market, like banks like us, to catch up and keep up and and make sure we're being part of the conversation. I refer back to the earlier points I made around sometimes we are. We are unable to do that because of the regulatory environment in which we're operating. But actually, if you think about what happened in the financial crisis, which seems a long, long time ago now, you know, it's 2008, the, the rate of change of regulation was to ensure that that couldn't happen again. Um, and that's a good thing. That's absolutely a good thing. Um, it's finding that healthy balance between innovation and regulation. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt Tuck from NatWest. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. Our team works extremely hard to bring these interviews to you, and your support will help more people discover the content. Finally, if you are not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register, and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.